0: Hello, stackers, and welcome back to yet another special episode of Stack Dice. On Friday, I optimistically posted that we would be recording an actual play episode to close out our season. Well, it turns out that Michael would much rather do work on the weekend than gather to play through another episode.
1: SMH my head.
0: (laughs) He had a lot of pressing work to do. And so uh, we opted to shift one more week. So one more week of waiting stackers and we will be able to get to actual play episodes again. Finally. And be able to close out this season. Thank you for your patience. We know we've been stringing things along, but circumstances have been interesting as we know it has been for you. And so we want to thank you for continuing to listen to us, continuing to share your thoughts and things. As always, if you have anything that has been Picking at your mind based on episodes that we've released, please do catch us on Twitter and Instagram at stackodice, or by email at stack.odice at gmail.com. We always love to hear from you, and again, if you have time to rate and review us on iTunes, please take a moment to do that. That will help with our placement in the standings and make us more visible to others who might enjoy what we're doing. Today, I thought it might be interesting to take a look at the actual storytelling element yeah. of Dungeons and & Dragons and of role-playing games in general. What we're going to talk about is not specific to any role-playing system, but rather uh, it's a general skill that you can use to enhance your games, and that is the act of storytelling. It's also pretty good for writing books. Mm-hmm. And so I guess the first thing I want to bring up for our discussion, thing is why do we tell stories? What's the purpose?
1: Well, there's a whole lot of purposes in telling stories. Um, the most obvious reason is because they're pretty entertaining. It's um, it's pretty nice to have a, a good distraction to just get pulled into another world where you know maybe things are a bit more ideal or or something like that, um,
0: or maybe not ideal. Maybe yeah, maybe not ideal. Maybe uh, it's helping you realize what you have isn't quite so bad.
1: Oh yeah, uh, that was my second point. Uh, stories can be pretty instructional. Well, at least it's not as bad as you know this scenario, or uh, as, as we uh, we covered the hero's journey uh, and the heroic cycle, and all of that uh, is pretty good for teaching us lessons about growth and development and all that.
0: And I guess there's an element to storytelling also of passing on information, so they become almost like capsules of knowledge. And maybe the intended knowledge, the intended meaning of the story has been altered by a modern day lens, Mm -hmm. but sometimes they're very explicit. And so you have things like Aesop's Fables, where he tells a story, but then has the moral at the end. Here's what I want you to get from this.
1: I gave you a story. And just to make sure you you get what I mean, I'm going to tell you exactly what I mean.
0: Yeah. Uh, And so sometimes you may want to really hammer the point home by telling your players, here's what I hope you got out of the story. At other times... Uh, you may want to be more subtle. Maybe you don't want them to necessarily know that you've laid something out in front of them. And so it's important to work into your writing and your preparation a little bit of subtlety.
1: And perhaps there are some other uh, valuable lessons that you can learn from a story that's a bit more open-ended that you maybe didn't intend to add in there, but it's good to know nevertheless. Nevertheless, But it's good to know nevertheless.
0: And I guess we need to preface this episode by saying, neither you nor I are professional writers. No. (laughs) Uh, And so anything we offer is purely personal opinion Mm -hmm. and very subjective. But we both like to read. We both have read broadly, I think, or fairly broadly.
1: Yeah.
0: And so we have gotten a little bit of experience with that. And I've done some writing. Same here. But for the most part, anything we offer, again, as with all of our content, If you like it, use it. If you don't, forget it. But what we want to do is spend some time today actually using a technique that a friend of ours, Foot of the Mountain Adventures, and you can find Pat and his work on Twitter at mountain underscore foot. Pat does a lot of hand-drawn maps and illustration type work, and he's collaborated with all sorts of folks on projects, adding his maps and his personal touch to all sorts of things. But one of the things he likes to do in his Twitter feed is what he calls roomscapes. And so he will draw a map and then just say, all right, anybody who wants to comment, take pick a room, pick a building, whatever he has drawn for this particular map, pick something and then just describe it in maybe two or three tweets. So you're looking at 140 words uh, or characters. You're looking at very small, compact, very, um, very dense descriptions that need to pack a lot of meaning into very few words. And what I found neat about this is it really, really, really makes you consider what you're putting down as part of the description. So the first thing we want to say is if you're going to describe something for your players, try and make it as punchy as possible. We have both been in games where descriptions can ramble. Mm-hmm. And you find yourself wishing that it were a video game so you could just press circle to get past it. <laughs> or you could just, you
1: know, look at it and then move on.
0: Yeah. Not everything has to have an elaborate history behind it. Exactly. Or you can describe it in a way that it implies a history, but you don't know what it is. Yeah,
1: and there's better ways to find out the history of an object than front-loading it. Yeah. Finding little things scattered throughout the area, all that stuff. More stuff about game design, but... Storytelling as well.
0: Yeah. So the first thing is, if you're going to be descriptive, try and balance it. Balance description need with what the players actually need in order to progress the game. Because the the game is not fully about the amount of research and preparation you've packed into the game. Mm -hmm. It should be about the players. Yep. And letting them drive the story. If it becomes a showcase for the rich lore that you've poured into this world over dozens of years or what whatever it is you're starting to shift the focus from the players to you and that that can be harmful to the players experience
1: in essence short sweet and to the point referencing lord of the rings which is a pretty good example of deep lore you mm-hmm. can read you can read through the book series with no prior background knowledge, and still enjoy it a good bit. But if you want to understand some of the more subtle references, you can read the Silmarillion and all his other works, and you can get a better understanding for the world Tolkien created.
0: And he has appendices, too, I believe, built into the Lord of the Rings.
1: six or seven of them (laughs) at the end of Return of the King.
0: Yeah, so if you really, really want it, it's there. And that's kind of the way I wanted to approach Vardalon from the beginning, was in-game, you've come across things and seen snippets of history, but for I've reserved a lot of the lore for special episodes pushed off to the side. So if you don't care about it, you're not missing anything Mm -hmm. by not listening to those special episodes. But if you want it, it's there. And so I have tried diligently to balance giving that sense of depth and history without pouring it on too thick. The second thing I wanted to talk about, when you're starting to build narratives for your games, is to employ the senses. Mm-hmm. And so by senses, of course, we're talking about touch, taste, sound, smell, and sight. And w- what do you think I mean by employing the senses, thing?
1: Describing how those senses register in the settings that you describe. So, you know, you walk into a town. What does it smell like? What do you see? What sounds are around you? All that stuff. So that way it's a little more immersive and it's easier for the players to at least uh, simulate within their own brains what exactly you're trying to create.
0: Yeah. And I think the trap that most dungeon masters fall into is that of sight. Here's what you see. Oh, yeah. Here are the things around you that you can look at and realize, hey, this is a desert town or this is a forest glade or mm-hmm. whatever.
1: And I think uh, sound is also, so sight and sound are most often used because they're the ones that we most often register.
0: Exactly. I was going to say sound is probably a close second. Mm-hmm. But even then, I think it's, well, maybe not even close. Maybe it's a more distant one. Yeah. You know, the clanking of a blacksmith in yeah. the distance or the sound of birds chirping. Usually, I think we DMs tend to, to resort to sound when it stops. Yeah. Uh, when it suddenly becomes conspicuous by its absence. Yeah,
1: which which, you know, is pretty... True to how sound works. I mean, you can be sitting outside and you notice nothing, but then suddenly the birds go silent. and Then you realize, oh, wait, there were birds chirping.
0: Or the air conditioner unit turns off.
1: Yeah, and then then I realize, wait, it was on? (laughs) Uh,
0: And and so it's very natural. And and for most people, sight and sound are going to be the first things they turn to. But then don't forget the power of smell. Mm -hmm. Man, some of those childhood smells. I've told the kids about my... My Star Wars smell. <laughs> when I was young, I had a friend that lived a couple houses over and, uh, I was over at his house one day playing, his mom was doing laundry. So there was this very particular detergent smell in the air and I was playing with the Greedo Star Wars figure. And so that smell every time I smell that detergent smell while I'm out walking and somebody's doing laundry and I can smell it coming from their, their exhaust vent. I think of the colors on that Greedo figure, that bright green and the turquoise color combination. I, I just, I see colors because I smell that smell. It's weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not the only thing. I mean, you walk into a house where maybe uh, food is cooking and you remember that smell from your childhood and it takes you back. Mm-hmm. Uh, smell is hugely important. In fact, uh, researchers have found that loss of sense of smell could be a very early indicator of the onset of Alzheimer's disease. So your memory is intensely linked to your smell. Interesting. Additionally, smell is very important to how you taste food. Mm -hmm. So if you're having sinus problems, uh, nasal problems, maybe the way you taste food is severely diminished.
1: Yeah. I think next in line for uh, the most paid attention to senses would be feel. Uh-huh. Uh, because pain registers uh textures of objects register uh fairly often and so when you hit smell and touch that's when your dm is really getting into detail and then uh last but last of all is taste and understandably it's not really touched upon because you know taste isn't really Explored for the most part in most D and D adventures. Only if you're if you're dungeon master, some kind of culinary chef, and yeah. You so guys- I was
0: gonna say that would be an awesome way to make a game really memorable. Let's say that the party is going to go to this place where there's this great restaurant or something, and they go in, and you've actually made the food that they're going to eat in game.
1: Oh man! And so
0: as they're playing, they're actually eating the food that you're describing. That would be awesome. <laughs>
1: i would I would drop into a session just for that and then leave. <laughs> well,
0: of course, <laughs> yeah, there are fun ways that you could do it, but of course, we're gonna talk about describing it rather yeah. than actually physically implementing
1: it It can also be uh you, you get punched in the mouth and then suddenly you- you know as a way of describing how that damage is felt, you know your character tastes the irony tang of blood
0: yeah, so there are different ways and so what we're gonna do to actually illustrate this and i I use the word illustrate very appropriately (laughs) we have pulled out our copies of the dungeon master's guide and really i've never paged through page by page like we did just before sitting down to record this and we've pulled out a handful of illustrations so if you have a dungeon master's guide handy go ahead and pull it out and turn to the pages that we will be turning to and we're going to use these as a basis for trying to put these into effect and so, what we're going to do, Thane, is we're going to start with you. Oh dear! And on page five, I'll describe it in case you don't have a DMG. Uh, I'll describe it rather generally, and then I'll leave it to you, and we'll go sense by sense and talk about things that you could actually describe in the picture that might appeal to those different senses. And so, it's generally it's at the top of page five. It looks like a canyon almost. And there's this floating rock that has all sorts of vegetation growing on it, and then what looks like a citadel of some sort perched atop it, and it's all very hazy. Mm -hmm. So, Thane, looking at this picture, how would you employ sight?
1: All right. So, before you, you see. So, you're coming out of the narrow canyon passageway. The uh, the cliff walls just open out into a into a wide canyon, and before you. Shrouded in, uh, in a hazy mist is the floating rock upon which is built the palace of Darcanian.
0: All right, what about sound? What sounds would you throw into this?
1: While in the canyon passageway, the wind was funneled through here and, and whipping past you in a, in a howling torrent. When you come out here, everything is strangely quiet. Not silent, but the wind is now gently gently flowing along in a nice open area. Distantly, you hear the, the chirping of small birds that nest among the trees upon the rock.
0: How about taste? This one might be a little tricky for this one, but what, how, would, how would you work in taste, if at all?
1: You know, as, as you stare open-mouthed at this scene that greets you, the air tastes kind of soft and soothing actually like the the mist permeates the entirety of this area and, and the vague wetness seems almost seems to have a little hint of healing to it
0: hmm. smell how would you work in smell
1: it smells clean here like um the 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 change in smell is almost jarring from the canyon passage which was stuffy and and dry and dusty and you come out here, and suddenly everything just seems clean and, and pure. The, the smell is a, f- is a fresh relief on your nostrils. You feel that peace.
0: And what about touch?
1: Yeah. <laughs> There's not much to feel, but the ground beneath you, you're, you're standing on, on a small uh, protruding platform from the canyon passage and it's it's just firm underneath you but it lacks the the dry dusty pebbles that um that you would occasionally kick out of the way here it's it's it seems to be actually old stonework that is a bit worn down from from years of just open air ex- exposure so it ha- it has a slight porous feel to it uh, at least on the surface but nevertheless it feels steady beneath you like you could jump up and down several times and it wouldn't move
0: hmm. now this is outside of the applying the senses but you mentioned a name darkanian yeah kinda. Uh, i know you kind of made that up on the, yeah, on the fly
1: i i'm i don't like that
0: <laughs> okay but i mean Not what, what would you envision would be in this floating palace or citadel or whatever it is
1: well actually it is um quite a ba- it has been abandoned for a long time, hmm. but the uh the aura around it um magic has preserved its its uh walls so that way the the palace itself uh seems still new and untouched, like it has been regularly cleaned and uh maintained for you know, who knows how long it has been here
0: yeah, maybe there are unseen servants that have been permanently cast perhaps and they just move around all day long and do nothing but tend to the palace.
1: Yeah. Ensure the the plants are kept in shape. The walls are washed and cleaned. Everything is in order. In order. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Sweet. Uh, Something that came to mind while you were going through those senses thing is uh, sometimes it might be tempting to put in, here's how it makes the characters feel. And so there's that emotional thing. I guess my... Feeling on that is my feeling on feelings. Is I try to be careful. I may do it without thinking, but I try to leave it up to the players to figure out how their characters are feeling as a result of this.
1: Yeah, I wasn't a fan of outright saying you feel at peace. I, I shouldn't have, uh, but that, that's at least what the mood I was going for.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so. By telling players here's what your character thinks or here's what they feel, you're you're taking that agency away from them. Yeah. I tend to try to describe things in a in a way that puts it out there. Here's what you are experiencing. Yeah. And then I try and let you actually say, Oh, that really that really moves me. Yeah. My character starts to cry. Or with Tira meeting the stag for the first time. Mm-hmm. I did say that there's a feeling of peace, but I didn't say that made you feel this particular way. yeah. And so her response to that was to approach with a sense of wonder. And I I really appreciated that because now what I did was I set the stage and then let her say how her character reacted to it.
1: I think another neat way of of really describing senses in certain scenes is kind of relating it to experiences that the players themselves may uh, be acquainted with. Mm-hmm. Now that I've had a little bit of time to really think about how I would approach sound, um what I was going for was kind of like you came from a uh, like a grating annoying sound to nice calm peacefulness, so maybe what I would link it to is you know kind of like the 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 droning constant sound of a of a washing machine or a dryer uh and then it's only when it, when it finishes, and there's just kind of that mm-hmm. No, no there, There's oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, not the alarm, but just kind of like the, the, the calm lack of sound yeah. Um, afterwards.
0: Yeah. Or in the morning when I come to wake you up and I turn off your fan. Mm-hmm. So you have that white noise going and then it suddenly stops and that's what jars you awake. Yeah. Let's go on to page 13. And if you would be so kind as to give a general description.
1: So in this image, it's in the top right corner of your page. And it seems to be inside the ruins of some very, very old place, uh, filled with soaring arches and uh, the statues of hooded figures carrying braziers of lit fire. Uh, Upon one of these arches, which is broken, actually, so that way he's actually standing on a bit of an edge uh, that drops into nothingness, is a lone figure carrying a torch. Okay. Let's start with Touch.
0: Okay. Okay. The ancient stone underfoot grabs at the soles of your boots. As you twist your foot to find purchase, there's a gritting sound of old dust grinding under the heel of your boot.
1: Uh, How's about sound? What do I hear?
0: The movement of your feet on the stone, on the crumbling stone of the arch, echoes into the vast darkness beyond. From down below comes the crackle of red fire, and your face is awash in the heat of a brazier held in the stony hands of of an ancient statue. The cowled face looks in your direction.
1: What do I smell?
0: Hmm. The scent of dust hangs heavy in the air, keeping you perpetually on the verge of sneezing. A strange scent of sweet oil and incense wafts up from below. Where the fire crackles, and pressing at all of these smells is the ever present smell of dampness.
1: Alrighty, what do I see?
0: Squinting ahead, you can see the ragged face of the rest of the arch, lit from below by red fire, and as the flames dance, The shadows continue to shift, making it difficult to gauge just how far you would need to jump to make it across. Carved onto a distant pillar ahead of you are stylized figures of warriors that also seem to writhe and dance in the twisting light. Mm.
1: And last of all, what do I taste?
0: From your precarious perch and the darkness that yawns below you, it's easy to feel that one misstep could spell your doom. And as you ponder the possibilities of a mistimed jump, a taste of bile rises in the back of your throat. I don't know. Just trying to play with ideas here.
1: Neat. I like it.
0: And so what I'm trying to build at, at we have the picture here that helps us to, to see what is being described, so that's helpful. But I guess what I was trying to build into it was a sense of great age, great expanse, with the echoes of the sound ringing through, and then um, why is the fire still going?
1: Uh, Mm -hmm.
0: Well, maybe it's fed by some outside source to keep it going, I don't know. Mystery and age is what I was going for.
1: Definitely, that's what I got from that.
0: Great. Why don't we jump over three more pages to page 16? And on the left side of this page, we have what looks, I'm guessing, maybe like a, an evening or a late afternoon time of day. Mm-hmm. Heavy, heavy clouds with the sun just poking through. And then in the foreground is what looks like maybe a mountainside wooded village. And so, Thane, what smells would you have in a town like this?
1: Lots and lots of forest smells. Like you can smell the leaves and and um, hmm. just kind of like the smell of plants, you know, where mm-hmm. like you're out in a grass field or if you're in, if you're ever in the woods, you can kind of smell it of just the, the green smell, the, the green smell. You can <laughs> smell the decay of the leaves green. on the ground and the growth of leaves on trees and the little plants in between and all those things. And then you can also smell um, some of the more sense of civilization, like, uh, you know, civilization smells. <laughs> uh let me let me see here uh you know, fires fires burning in the distance uh
0: smoke i i, I can yeah, smell yeah. wood smoke yeah. yeah
1: fires wood smoke uh let's see here I'm trying yeah. to think of what
0: you know when you're done you're done
1: yeah there, there aren't any other smells i can think of
0: maybe livestock if they keep sheep or goats yeah, so mountainous uh mountainous areas are not good for cattle necessarily unless yeah. they have broad meadows. Uh, but sheep and goats tend to do a little bit better and with, with sparser vegetation.
1: Now there's also a fairly, uh, decent amount of dampness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, it's actually kind of muggy here. Oh. Um, there's like a, a muggy stuffed scent, uh, among the trees. Okay. Kind of stifled. How about sight? Okay. Uh, so it, it is pretty dark and gloomy, uh, especially among the trees. But through the thick trunks, you can see the the baleful, glowing eyes of windows. Ooh! And kind of uh,
0: sneaking into the next uh, next section of ours, but that's great.
1: Yeah, and every here and there, uh, amid the shadows, you see the flickering shapes of what might be. More out of the corners of your eyes than actually directly looking, you sense the, the flickerings of dark shapes, perhaps squirrels, perhaps small birds, perhaps something else. You don't know.
0: Okay, good. Sound? What sounds would you hear in a mountainside village like this?
1: Well, everything's kind of muted. Hmm. Uh, every now and again, you may hear the sounds of something moving, uh, the chirp of the... Uh, the cry of a bird from somewhere out in the distance from the village itself, you don't really hear anything, no movement, no voices, nothing. The buzzing of insects uh seems omnipresent, but as a low again muted drone
0: okay touch what kinds of things would you expect to feel physically feel in a place like this?
1: The ground squishes beneath your feet it seems to it seems to almost like grab and try and hold on to your feet uh as you try and lift them up if you you ever try to move but everything seems to just be kind of wet and and sticky like you don't want to touch any of the trees the houses the 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 ground especially um you're certain that any animals with fur on them will be matted and, and and dirty everything just seems kind of dingy
0: Okay, and taste.
1: It's not a good taste. That's that's for sure. It it it's not welcoming. It's not pleasant, but it's not outright hostile or bad either. You just it it's unsettling.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, so the impression I'm getting from the way you have described it is maybe this is a hostile environment. I'm getting a very I wouldn't bad say bad sense about it. I wouldn't say unwelcoming.
1: Yeah, I would say more unwelcoming. Like I said, that like I, I kind of hijacked taste and made it more like an internal feeling than anything else. But I think taste can play very heavily on how you like sense a uh, a place. And so uh it's I I wouldn't say it's hostile and or I wouldn't say it's outright bad. It's just you like, kind of mysterious, kind of unwelcoming. You don't feel at ease here. Uh, I've always looked at this picture and just kind of imagined, like, I've never really seen it as swampy. I've er, No, sorry. I've never really seen it as, like, as a, a mountainous village. I've more just seen it as, like, a, a swampy village. Okay. Kind of set out in the marshes. Um, where a couple of... Maybe of, on the
0: edge of Moorland.
1: Yeah, on the edge of Moorland, uh, where you have, like, a collection of very... Strange villagers uh probably good for some kind of um some kind of mystery adventure, some kind of uh maybe a kind of cosmic horror place like i don't know you could have some kind of weird backwater cult hanging out in the in the shadows of the marsh or even among the residents of the village itself cool and all all the characters are important uh, as as and they have names and whatnot, but they're all weird or offsetting in their own little quirky ways
0: okay and you've kind of tucked into another thing we wanted to talk about with your description of baleful eyes the windows as baleful eyes and that's to use personification to help accentuate to to breathe life into a setting so i was happy to hear you say that we're going to do one more in this section uh, for senses turn to page 51 and if you'll walk me through that with the five senses
1: right as soon as i get there all righty well, first, let's get, let's get a little bit of a general overview of this um, image. It's an illustration that goes with the, uh, the description of the Shadowfell plane. Um, and the Shadowfell itself uh, is... Well, you know, I think, I think it's best just to read the first little paragraph. The Shadowfell, also called the Plane of Shadow, is a dimension of black, gray, and white, where most of the color has been leached from everything. It is a place of darkness that hates the light, where the sky is a black vault with neither sun nor stars. It's a dreary place, and uh, in this picture that we are presented with, uh, it seems to be in some kind of accentuated mountain range, where jagged and pointy, everything everything is spiky, and uh, the mountains rise at, at steep angles. It's usually not natural. And along the range seems to be some kind of winding path upon which we see a group of adventurers and in the center ground rising from a single jagged spike looks like the ruins of some kind of castle or um other building so anyway what do i hear
0: your movement along the worn pathway sends tremors of sound through the long valley as stones tumble over the edge of the precipice a squawking Whirling, massive birds rises from the thick fog, screeching and screaming into the sky.
1: All What do I smell?
0: Your guttering torch held directly overhead drops fragments of glowing material that douse quickly in the thick fog. A breeze blows towards you, but it's not pleasant. Because it bears on it, the scent of decay and death.
1: Alrighty. And uh, let's see here. Where do I feel?
0: The physical proximity of the rest of your party is perhaps the only comfort that you feel in this bleak and desolate land. The fog tries to pry beneath your clothes with wispy fingers, and the moisture beads on your forehead. Sweat trickles down. Even though the breeze is blowing... It does not bring any relief from a sense of oppressive heat.
1: Interesting. What do I see?
0: The path snakes away from you toward a very rickety-looking bridge. The black wood of the planks of that bridge have definitely seen better days. Some dangle down like broken ribs. Across on the far side lies the object of your adventure in this place. Broken spires, like jagged teeth, pierce into the sky, and from within, in some of the ancient casements of the old windows, wispy, silvery gleams, ebb and flow.
1: Aren't right, they to our taste?
0: Loneliness. Yes.
1: <laughs> uh, I mean, that makes sense.
0: So I guess you don't necessarily have to put all of these in every one. Yeah. But maybe, let's see here.
1: I'll probably taste like emptiness. Like, there's more like like the absence of taste which characterizes this, this plane. Sure. Like, um, you know, there, there's just nothing to taste, which perfectly re- reflects the soulless, lifeless nature of this empty, dark plane.
0: Or maybe, standing here, you're reminded of all the sleep you have missed over the last couple days. Interesting. Winding through this barren land. And as you realize that you have not brushed your teeth in a couple of days, the sourness of your mouth makes you feel even more ill at ease.
1: I know that feeling.
0: <laughs> so there's a you know there's other ways to approach. You don't have to taste everything, but maybe personal things that come up, like in the previous example where I talked about you want to throw up because <laughs> you're dizzy Nervous. from the heights. Yeah, yeah. Nervous. Um, so there are other ways to add taste that don't necessarily mean that you taste you're reaching out and sampling the rock yeah, the cliff next mm, to you.
1: Mm, tastes like <laughs> despair. I would love to do an adventure in the Shadowfell. It just seems like such an interesting place. It literally looks like Dark Souls. Mm. Like that—that that is the embodiment of Dark Souls in D&D right there.
0: Okay, uh, so let's move on from the senses. And obviously there's a lot of good to be had from that because by doing that, you're appealing to more than just what you can see. You're starting to get to a more visceral level and maybe you'll find things that your players can connect with and make more memorable mental pictures of these places. So that's why I wanted to talk about this one in particular. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that I want to talk about is show, don't tell. And this is an old writer's maxim. And it sounds easy, but it can be one of the most difficult things to grasp as a writer. And what that means is when you're laying out a scene, you can tell your players everything that they see. Yeah. For instance, we're sitting at a table with a red and white tablecloth on it.
1: Almost like a picnic
0: blanket. And Thane's glasses are sitting next to him. Folded. He has a cup half full of water. I have an empty glass in front of me. And our books are open and I have a computer going.
1: Crumbs are scattered all over the place.
0: Well, I think that's getting more toward the showing. Ah. Okay, and so... Basically, we could describe it like that and then your players will have a very cookie cutter picture yeah. of what they're looking at. It's
1: just kind of like saying this is it. Like there's there's no real like emotion or feeling behind it like telling you the the weight behind things or the it's meaning. It's a
0: list of things.
1: Yeah, it's 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 just kind of just like literally defining the scene as what's there.
0: Now, if we wanted to portray this place as a messy tumble of disaster. We could talk about how the tablecloth is slightly askew,
1: slightly askew crumbs are scattered across the
0: surface of it. Like you said, one of the glasses is, uh, is tipped over and it, it's contents have spilled across the surface of the table,
1: slowly stained the, the tablecloth, uh, wires that connect our microphones are just kind of like piled wherever that they're, they'll stay out of the way. Yeah.
0: And so without saying that the table is a mess, we can actually paint the picture that the table is a mess without actually saying it.
1: Without saying it's a mess, we're saying it's a mess.
0: Yeah. And so we have showed you what kinds of things are visible. We're leaving you to come up with the conclusion that the place is a mess. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sift through some more pictures in the Dungeon Master's Guide starting on page 117. And in the bottom right in the bottom of page 117 there's a great underwater scene where i'm guessing it looks like a rogue maybe uh and she's got a pouch floating it's slung around her shoulder and she's opening a treasure chest underwater so Thane, how would you show this scene and not just tell us the scene Mm. and you're welcome to to mix in the senses aspect if you want to
1: yeah so uh well rada finally uh got low enough to, to the sea floor. everything around her just seemed to float. Her hair was waving up, and the, the necklace pendant was actually backwards on her neck as it was you know, seeking, seeking to float up as high as it could, along with her bag. Nimbly uh, applying a, a lockpick to the, to the padlock on the chest, she managed to get it open in a matter of, of seconds and opened up, and everything just seemed to glow with the dazzle of gold. A small, wry smile curled across her face.
0: Okay. So there's that sense of satisfaction, maybe describing as the effects of her water-breathing spell were beginning to wear off, the pressure of the depth of the water began to weigh on her lungs. Mm. Before her nimble fingers, the green crust of the lock crumbled away. There was a satisfying click that echoed through the depths.
1: Or it was maybe more felt than heard.
0: There you go, perfect. And with a gentle tug, the lid raised to reveal.
1: The heavy lid made weightless in the water, swung up and...
0: Yeah, great. So there, there are ways to describe the scene in picturesque ways. And hopefully from the description, you know, talking about her things floating up behind her, shows that she's underwater, her hair waving.
1: I didn't outright say that she was underwater, did I? I don't think so. I did say sea floor.
0: Yeah, you did. So (laughs) there, there were no. That's fine. There were details there. Yeah, very good. Let's go to one twenty. This one's a neat picture. I've, I've really not gone through the DMG to look at the artwork. It's, if you have time and you have the DMG, you should try it out. It's really neat. Arbuckle smoothed his hair back.
1: (laughs) Where's my lasagna, John?
0: tucking it behind the points of his ears, grasping the gnarled staff in his right hand firmly so that the veins in his forearm stood out. He took a deep breath to steady his nerves and reached forward toward the curled horn resting in the alcove. The dimness of the light had played tricks with his eyes, but it wasn't until he drew close enough that he realized the streaks on the stone surrounding the alcove were not lichen, not deformations of the rock, but smears of rust-colored blood. His senses began to jangle as his eyes traced the curve of the stone and realized quickly there were blades surrounding the alcove. One false move, one foot out of place, could cause the blades to come slicing in, ending his career as the most nimble sorcerer on the West Coast. I don't know.
1: <laughs> the most nimble sorcerer in California.
0: <laughs> what do I you like think? that? Pretty well done. So yeah, this this picture is neat because I mean there's a bloody handprint.
1: Oh yeah. I was uh as I was trying to uh, think in my own mind how I would uh Yeah, how would you how it? I would describe it? I would I would uh, cover the the bloodstains as uh, silent screams of adventurers past as Ooh, warning signs yeah. to not <laughs> to not make the wrong move. To not to not do that,
0: that. <laughs> uh, and of course, you could get into the fact that his owl familiar is there. His spell tome—maybe he's swung it to his right hip to keep it out of way of danger.
1: I think. I think the uh, describing the way the owl looks can also uh, indirectly yeah. dis- can also indirectly describe the tenseness of the scene. His his owl familiar perched on the very edge of his uh, tome, stared closely, like like you know stared. Intensely at his hand wa- uh, watching for any signs of of the wrong move
0: and going back to the imparting feelings to your character to, to your players' characters as a as a dungeon master, you know again, I try not to steer how the characters feel. Mm-hmm. I let the players determine that, but maybe in cases where a player has a familiar, you could play on it that way. Mm-hmm. Your familiar acts this way or looks trepidatious or seems unconcerned by the situation that could be indicators to the player oh okay well if my familiar is nervous about this or seems to be fine with this person then maybe i'm okay with the person
1: yeah familiars are useful as kind of like aura detectors being magical creatures even even though i don't believe there's any real stats that incorporate that it's a useful little storytelling mechanic
0: okay good i like that picture
1: Yeah. I think it says a
0: lot in a very small space. Yeah. That's pretty neat. I saw it and went, ooh.
1: (laughs) That's the that's the way it is for a lot of these of these artworks. It's it's great for really they, they tell stories of their own, because um, yeah. then you have to wonder, you know, who is this adventurer? Why? What is that thing that he's reaching for? Why does he need it? Yeah. Uh, you know, how does this tra- – because I'm looking at the trap, and I, I just guess they kind of, like, shoot forward. I wouldn't ex- – they don't really look like they have the grooves to be able to, like, you know, slice it in order to cut a hand off. But, I mean, you know, he reaches forward and maybe grabs it the wrong way. And then, you know, you have four blades just, like, all stab into his arm, yeah. which would then probably require him to take the arm off, which would probably be a more effective trap seeing as uh, that would be more painful. Yeah. And the personal decision to lose your limb, because Yuck. otherwise you're stuck.
0: Yuck. Let's move on to page 131. And then we have one more after this, and then we'll bring it to a close. And on the bottom right corner, we have what looks like it could be an NPC in a tavern. So Thane, why don't you take it away? Why don't you give us a show-don't-tell about this guy?
1: Darren Nimblenose sat... Um, sits across from you, he, he's just kind of slouched. Uh, poise has never been his thing. He's, it's, it's too good for him. Uh, but he, he, he slouches at his seat, and when you mention the stag's heart, he leans forward on one elbow. You know, he's not, not to convey too much interest, but he leans in with one elbow on the table, and he just gives you this this look from beneath his thick eyebrows, <laughs> um
0: and that could be fine
1: yeah i was gonna I was gonna say something in his voice, but I can't really think of where else to carry this narrative that I'm constructing on the fly.
0: That's fine because at this point, maybe the players would. Basically, he looks and waits for the players to start talking. So, Perhaps. Yeah, there's different ways of approaching it. I was looking at what looks like the slight reddish cast of his eyes, which might indicate that he's been drinking quite a bit. Ooh. And therefore, he might be a little more pliable to players' requests or which, something.
1: I didn't notice that.
0: But yeah, he. I like the name Nimble Nose. <laughs> Let's go on to page 253. We'll get one more of these in. All right. Another great illustration that looks like it's... Depicting a chase.
1: I love how these images are able to capture motion. Yeah. Like you can just tell that they're really
0: going. They're booking. Yeah. <laughs> and let me take a whack at it here. Go on ahead. The rail veers suddenly to the right, and as your minecart hurtles around the sudden sharp turn, the wheels lose traction for just a moment, then bump back down solidly into place with a shower of sparks. Behind you, Too close for comfort is another cart full of goblins. They are shouting, screaming, and cursing as they try desperately to catch up. They brandish their weapons menacingly, but you have weapons of your own. Blasting forth bolts of purple energy, you try and keep their cart at bay. The echoes of your mad career through this dark, forbidding mineshaft make it all the more disorienting as you rush on toward a darkness that you cannot see. I don't know.
1: <laughs> there's a higher-pitched shriek as one of these bolts Ooh. collide square in the center of one of these creatures' chests. And he, he popped soars up and out of the cart almost in slow motion before yeah. crumpling in a heap, heap in the track. Yeah. There's a, the juddering, there's a you know, shuddering crash as the you know, cart comes down on the track. or I don't know. Neat stuff.
0: Yeah. Really, really good. Obviously, personally, my, my take on it is I try and come up with a visual picture. And so we'll go ahead and make this the wrap up of the episode. I try and come up with a visual picture of what it is I want to describe, and then I start describing it. And so, as an exercise for dungeon masters, maybe the way to approach implementing strong storytelling in your games is to find pictures of things that you want to talk about, what you want to include in your game, and then try and describe those, and then write it down so that you're reading it, so it flows more the way you want. Now, you're not going to be able to anticipate everything. Sometimes you'll want on the spur of the moment to be able to create a scene. And then you're just going to have to go ahead and say it the way that it comes to you and hope that it uh, comes out <laughs> the way you want it yeah. to.
1: Another neat thing is just, you know, to try to describe things that you see. You know, just like look out in the backyard, mm-hmm. go up on a hill and just describe to yourself or maybe to somebody else what all you see.
0: Yep. That's, that's a good way to do it. Another thing that I have found useful is to look up travel photography. Mm. Look up places that people have been. Uh, People love to take pictures of exotic places. And so if you are building a place in your world that could be found in Greece or Egypt or China or wherever, go ahead and find travel pictures from those places, and then that will serve as a great foundation for your description. Whatever you want to work up, that will give you real-world examples to work from. And like Thane said, look at your community. You don't have to go to crazy places. You can find neat stuff in the place where you live. Uh, We live near the D.C. area, so there's lots of museums and monuments and things. Uh, Other states have really, really beautiful parks, great natural scenery. We're close to the ocean here. We have access to all sorts of marinas and, and docks and things, so boats are everywhere. Yeah, just a lot of neat stuff. Look at the world around you. And find ways to sketch them descriptively so that whenever you relate it to somebody, you're creating a picture in their mind of what it is that you're trying to see. Uh, Something else that could be helpful, especially in developing NPCs, is look at people. Mm -hmm. If you're in a restaurant, well, right now you're not in a restaurant.
1: (laughs) Or you might be. You might be. I don't know. Just be dinner for
0: one. Just watch people interact with each other and try and Maybe give a one or two sentence description of somebody. Try and capture their mannerisms in words. Do it in one or two sentences. So I think the tweet format is great. You have a limited number of characters to work with. How much of that person and the way they behave can you capture in that short amount of space? Okay, we have talked about a lot of stuff Mm. in a very short amount of time. And so do you have anything else you want to add storytelling-wise
1: the good practice is just to write stories. I mean, it's not for everyone, that's for sure. Uh, but I, I find it's it's very good for me um, to uh, really get my creative juices flowing. Is just to you know write something. And if you have some little story idea, you don't have to flesh out an entire book, but just a short story of some encounter, or maybe just write an action scene, or just you know write a description of some place that shows that pops up in your mind for whatever reason or if you have some kind of neat concept, you know, write about that. Just find ways to really get, to really develop your style of describing things and of fleshing out ideas. So that way, when, whenever you run a game or, or if you're just describing something, your character does, or um, how he perceives something, you've got some experience.
0: Yeah. Great. And, Again, like we said at the beginning, don't feel like you have to use all the stuff we talked about. Mm-hmm. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, just disregard us.
1: Not all yeah. Not, not all senses uh, register in a meaningful way mm-hmm. in places.
0: As always, again, if you have comments, please do hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at stackodice or by email at stack.odice at gmail.com. And actual play episodes are coming. We really, really hope that they will be that we'll be able to record on Friday of next week. It's looking like we will. And we're so excited to be able to not only continue our story, but to wrap the season to
1: finally end this thing. (laughs) Goodness me.
0: (laughs) And so we hope to see you again next time right here at stack of dice. Are you ready? No. How about now? No, no. How about now? I guess.